You are listening to the Miguel Sanchez World Podcast. I created this podcast to help people make their ideas reality. So while you're listening, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe wherever you love listening to podcasts. Also, check out the link in the description to join our Facebook group where our community helps each other create multiple revenue streams. Enjoy the show. We are live. All right. Marlin, what's up, man? Good, brother. Same old, same old. Yeah, yeah. So, how I like to start the show is we talk about how we met. Marlon is one of my one of my favorite stories, man. We met. I don't even remember the year. It would have yeah. to be two thousand ten ish, eleven ish. Yeah, probably maybe a little later because I think the first time we met was in. Fordham, wasn't it? Wasn't the first time yeah, we met? It was at, it was at, we met at this like startup contest. So the story was me, I went there for an augmented reality startup that me and another few people were starting. Right. So the first night you we spent a lot of time explaining our idea and then you had to get chosen for the next, for the weekend. And people were going to stay there an entire weekend right. on the idea. So one of the guys I was working with he came all the way from New Jersey because we were like, oh, our idea is so fire. This is <laughs> <laughs> we're not getting paid. So <laughs> I remember showing the technology and everybody in the room being like, I don't even understand what I just saw right now. <laughs> Me, It was Allenson. I got to have him on the show one day too. Okay. We, we didn't get picked. So we, we, the idea was that you, if you didn't get picked, you would stay for the weekend and help everyone else who did get picked. Uh, like, yeah, we didn't get picked. No, if, you, if you think about that weekend, there were one, two, at least four or five startups that have really done big things that weekend. You're right. You're right. The Knowledge House Crazy. was there. Gerald was there. Was right. Chris Mercado was there too, I believe. I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking about the dudes that did uh, Who's Your Landlord? I think they were there that weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, there were quite a few. It was. Yeah, it, was yeah. it's, it sucks that the, the relation with Fordham is not a more. So, and I'm saying that yeah. on camera, so if anybody from Fordham watches, it's your fault. But um, So me and Marlon, we spoke really quickly because you meet everybody and everybody presents their idea. And right. Marlon said in his presentation that a third of households in the Bronx do not have high-speed internet. And I remember thinking, there's no way that that numbers. So Marlon was, we had a startup idea to help people get internet. So after we left, <laughs> then I, I think I reached out to you or you reached out to yeah. me and we were, and yeah. I was like, man, I love your idea. I, I don't know how I can help, but however I can help, I think people need this. So that, and however I can help, I help. Many months passed. I probably reached out to me and I was just so crazy that I never responded. Eventually, I was like, yo, let's meet at the office. I was in Hunts Point. I was like, why don't we meet? So you, right. you came by the office. You told me the idea again, where you were. And I was like, damn, man, I really don't. I'm not rich, but I know a lot of shit. So I was like, how can I help? So at first it was like branding web stuff and i was like look yeah definitely can help with that so we spent nights late nights yeah. the names, hours names and, and we came up with nature based on <clears throat> it was what, what we came up with was <clears throat> it should be a human right 
to have internet, just like it is the human right to have nature. So right. nature. So that was, I felt like it was one of our genius moments, high five virtually, but that's <laughs> that was dope. We went on to, to do many things, which we will get on to. I'll, I'll leave those funny stories to later, but <laughs> tell people about your background, how you came up with nature, everything about you from your, your history. Yeah, dude, Miguel, thank you. You're absolutely right. It's crazy how far back we go and how we got to this point and the different trials and tribulations we've had to go through, in, both individually and collectively, to get to this point. But <clears throat> background so I grew up poor. My mother was a recovering crack addict. My twin brother's disabled. We had a lot of struggles growing up. Uh, she was a single mother. She, with all of her struggles, she was fantastic. She was uh, one of the most inspiring people I know. With all that said, obviously, it was difficult for us growing up. You learn. Um, about how to deal with situations and how to deal with turmoil and negativity and figuring out pathways through it. You get a high school, go to college. I went to Fordham. I didn't finish. I <laughs> right, exactly. I exactly. <laughs> um, eventually went into telecom, uh, worked for Verizon, worked for AT&T, worked for um, a bunch of different telecom companies. 2001 obviously changed everything. Was in the North Tower, the World Trade. Was fortunate enough to obviously to get out of there, but that experience changes your perspective on how you see life. I knew then that I wanted to do something to help people who are underserved. Didn't know what. I created a company, my first company, which was Quad Infinity, which is crazy names. I don't even know why I thought of it. At the time, it was just like these. It was a gaming company that I created to create like a gaming space. And it was actually wildly successful. We did it up in Westchester. Had like Samsung come through, EA come through. We did all this crazy stuff. And the point was to build a template to create a, a larger competitor to Dave and Buster's. That was the whole concept. By the way, may need to resurface in a way. Oh, right? no, I know. I know. It was, it was, I mean, I've, I've heard that a few times actually. It's funny. Um, we had like these, I know, but we had, we, what's, that's a long story, but we had, I'll tell you a little something about that, but we had, a, we had these pods. That's why we called it quad infinity because we had pods of four and each seat had its own, you know, speakers and the whole deal. It was, it was super dope. And then we created what then I called the high school gaming league, which if you know anything about what's going on in technology now, there's a company, I think out in California that just did something with the national high school athletics. I was like, I did that like 20 years ago, fam. Like it was crazy, but. That's the thing, man. Timing. So one of my mentors, actually both of our mentors, he says it's not timing is not the only it's not everything. It's the only thing, pretty much. Yeah. Right? If you yeah. were to do that now, not right now, maybe a few years ago. But uh, but yeah, so so did that and then we actually had this investor who was look, he had owned previous entertainment entertainment centers, like large entertainment centers, um, family entertainment centers. He's like, look, I love your idea. Let's figure out a way we can move forward with it. And then he passed. Like he was about to become an investor. He was going to put in half a million, I think the number was. Um, and back then for a space that I was looking for, that was more than enough. And then he passed. So it was like, all right, so that's. What year, I, what year was that about? 2006, I want to say. Mm. Yeah, this is 15 years ago. So I, I shelved the idea. I said, right, I can't keep going. Cause it was like a, like I said, it was a more like a beta test than anything else. And I wasn't making any money for myself really. I was just making enough to cover the expenses. So I closed it and said, you know what I want to, as part of that, one of the things that happened was we um, used to donate time to, to homeless families through this organization in Westchester. I can't remember the organization now, but we donated time to them. And that was my first real exposure to 
taking a for-profit concept and allocating it to a nonprofit concept. I want to figure out another way to do something like this. So when I closed Quad Infinity, one of the things I wanted to do was learn from a nonprofit. So I looked at different nonprofit concepts to join, was fortunately picked up by Mid-Bronx Senior Citizens Council. Um, and what that did was it gave me the opportunity to expand my understanding of what uh, a nonprofit management organization looks like and, and different ways you can fund concepts. And I was vice president, primarily dealt with development. And it just gave you different perspectives. So while I was building or while I was, was developing for Mid Bronx, I was building a concept in my mind about how I want to create a company to service a need. And I didn't know what need I wanted yet. I ended up going down to, to Miami for, I think this is just after the Giants won the Super Bowl. So this is like, like 2008, I think it was. Go down there with a couple of friends of mine and my friends, Marlon, you got to create another concept. I'm like, what? Why am I creating another concept? You're the one that creates up concepts. You got to think of something to do. So we're sitting there just talking amongst each other. And I'm like, all right, so let's look at the different areas that, and this is straight up, this is how it was. Let's look at the different areas that people of color don't own. And we were looking at radio, TV. We just started naming different industries. And I said, Joe, we don't really own anything in telecom. So then we started looking at telecom. Then we started looking, okay, what exactly in telecom? And that's when we figured out that broadband was such a unique situation where there's plenty of access, meaning there's an ability to connect to the internet. It's just that it's too, it costs too much money. It's not affordable. And that's the foundation for NetJet. That's when I created, but back then I was looking at it as a nonprofit. I was like, I'm making a nonprofit kind of along the same lines with these other nonprofits and crazy enough, and I'll, I'll stop here, but crazy enough, when we started to apply for funding, we did a, what is it called? A fiscal sponsorship arrangement with an organization based in DC. and when we went to the IRS, the IRS basically told us that it sounded like a for-profit, so they wouldn't let us move forward. Um, and that's when I decided to change it from a nonprofit to a for-profit. I don't even remember that part of the story. That's <laughs> crazy. That's up too. I guess, end of the day, it works out. That's probably the best thing we did. Yeah, yeah. All right. So fast forward, you create Nature. We're working on, this is one of the first, this is one of the funniest stories, I'll always tell it. We were, we were working to raise money because part of the, the trouble with starting an infrastructure company is expensive. You need a Very, lot of equipment, yeah, right? So yeah. we, me and Martin figured out, okay, we need a X, we need X amount of money to, to, to be able to put on a certain amount of kids or a certain amount of households. Families, right. So we figure out the number and we say, all right, let's start going around, talking to people, try to raise this money. This was probably 2014-ish. Right? Yeah, about there. So I'm green as fuck in this world. I'm like, but how hard could it be to raise? I think at that time we needed 250 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was about that number, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so I was like, can't be that hard to raise 250,000. So we start going around to different events. One event we go to was John Henry that was having an event in, in Harlem. Yeah. bringing up investors and stuff like that and we had met john henry like the That's night important. before like yeah. right the day before he came to, to see us speak me and marlon was speaking at an event in fordham and john henry was in the crowd he yep. comes up he says yo i love what you guys are doing come to my thing tomorrow i'm gonna have investors so we go fucking hilarious 
of course mm. we're in there we, we got business cards we're ready for we're ready to rock so we see <laughs> investors we see one of the biggest angel investors in new york city the biggest he's obviously there to work with the minority community where you came for john henry you know what this is about so we like all right let's do it so me and marlon go up to him like yo of course, we didn't say yo, but uh, Marlon introduced himself very properly. He was like, yo. We're like, all right, we give the sales pitch. This is an idea. The I so so why don't you give the sales pitch? Just just so I don't screw it up. Yeah, back then it was different because remember, we were looking at providing a completely free internet access and we were looking at having it as subsidized. That's right? Yeah, yeah. So at the time we were like, um, listen, um, not sure if you're aware of this, but there are an estimated million households in New York City without internet access. Um, and, and we come up with a way to um, provide that service to them by providing a completely free internet access portal. Um, they'll have some web services to support it. And we were looking for up to $250,000 to get to do a beta test of it. Your man comes back and he says, let me ask you a question. Uh, why are you servicing the low income demographic? No one cares about that demographic. And I was like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> That's and then remember this, but then he said, uh, he said, why don't you look at, he said, you should look at the next market up and figure out a way because advertisers are not looking at low income families. They don't spend any money. He said, they're looking at middle market and higher. So you should try to figure out a way to, to bring your product to that market. We just walked away, man. It was like, all right, well. You're like, ooh, ouch, right? So I was I done. I, yeah, that, that was like the last conversation of the night too for us. We were like, yeah. damn, if this is how, that world thinks we are yeah. fucked. Not only us as a company, but, but us as minorities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And never gonna fund stuff that helps our community. Yeah. And we went back and we're like, do we have to change this whole thing? And actually we did because of it. We had to pivot. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely that moment that made me, I, I did a lot of reading. A lot of reading at that time, trying to figure, okay, where is, is what he's saying actual? Is it fact? Is it only him or does everyone look at it that way? And obviously at the time you're thinking, okay, and my mindset was, all right, he came here to meet with minority founders. That was his purpose. So if he came in to meet minority founders and he still has that view, you're like, all right, so then yeah. really not a whole lot of opportunities to find others. If that's the way that's- And think about the comment, right? Nobody cares about that demographic. Yeah, yeah. That, that, and 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 so so just so you fully understand, anybody watching that that's trying to get into the entrepreneurship world, what we were telling him was it was going to be free because we were going to have advertising. So when you turned on your internet, you get an ad or you pay, right? So right. You, look, if you're free, you get of course a lesser service, but you get an ad every X amount of hours you're on the internet, you get an ad. And that ad revenue would generate support to, to support the cost of giving that person internet. That's why he said advertisers don't care about that demographic, but the way he said it, he said, nobody cares about that demographic. Yeah, man. And it was a little bit like, Oh man. So I mean, it was, it was definitely a shock. And then I think one of the things you realize from that moment is you have to make a decision. And I think that's where we came. Like, Remember after that, we separated for a while and we were like, all right, dude. Viable idea, basically. Yeah, it may not work. And I think it gives you a moment to really, this is what they talk about when you have to pivot. 
Yeah. I think at the time, what I did was I just started to look at our, if it's not going to be that way, should I change the way we make some money? And I remember you, one of the things you did was you used to challenge me on, listen, Marlon, make sure what you're saying is actual fact. Make sure you know um, how much money you could definitely make. And remember, we started to look at different ad technologies at the time. We tried to figure, okay, what are the different ways we can make money? Maybe it's not this way. Maybe it's another way. Maybe looking, we were looking at creating a browser. I'm not sure if you remember that at the time. We were looking at creating our own browser. Yeah. A bunch of different tech. And it was a pretty, it was pretty cutting edge at the time. But you have to understand the most important question we had, we had to answer, which we, at the time, really didn't have an answer for, was what do people want? So I think it was at that point when I said, all right, well, I got to find a way to do a beta. Yeah. Or a way to cover myself. The concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some kind of a proof of concept. So that's one we we partnered with Nos Gadamos, a nonprofit yeah. in the Bronx. And we just took four floors of their one of their buildings. And we worked with them. And I, I'm going to give shout outs to all the organization. We worked with them. It was with Packets, Sky Packets. Sky Packets, Sky Packets. Yeah. They, they did the installation. Bronx Works gave us computers. Absolutely. That, that's an interesting story, too. Yeah. I remember someone from Bronx Works reached out to me to be on the board and, mm -hmm. and I had never been on any boards. And I asked you because you came from the nonprofit world right. and you were like, being on the board is a lot of work, dude. I don't know if you understand. <laughs> and I remember being like, I definitely don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, but Bronx Works is one of the biggest organizations in the Bronx. And he's like, yeah, man, but it's work. Just know what you signed up for. And I didn't. And I still signed up. And I, it was a lot of work and I, I yeah. still feel bad because I don't do enough for Bronx Works. Bronx Works is a great organization. They help a lot of people. Absolutely. But what happened from that saying yes was I was in a board meeting and they were telling us we're getting rid of computers. Yeah. So right. Marlon was in a position where he was like, man, how do we get these households computers? Because we're doing a test. We can't tell them by computers. So that just happened to happen at the same time. And I was like, yo, I was just in a meeting with it to get rid of computers. Let's see if we can do that partnership. They end up giving you how many computers? I forgot. I want to say it was like 10. It was a good number. It was a good, it was a good number. Because not everyone needs computers. You don't want to preclude people. And, and as with what we're going through right now, I mean, we'll bring it to the president later. Obviously, computer access and internet access is a major issue, which we've known forever. But so at that moment, we wanted to be able to have the option to give people computers, whether they wanted it or not. It was, yeah. but then the other thing remember at the time was we were trying to test different technologies. So we're looking at different browsers. I had to remember rebuild the entire computer system, put a different browser on there, see if I could put out ads on it, so on and so forth. So we yeah. did a whole yeah. different thing at the time to test many different variables. Sure. So yeah, the computers were critical. So even now, even now, I guess let's fast forward. So we, we tried, we actually, that, talk about that, that beta test, how well it did. It was crazy. What we did was I basically paid for internet access to this building and had it shared amongst, I think it was like 25 different households. Yeah. And the way we did it was we provided Wi-Fi through the building, through the, we put access points in the hallways. And it was that we learned, okay, how many people are logging on? How many people are using the internet for how long? What devices are they using? Um, what are they looking for? And you don't want to monitor, and we weren't monitoring individual users. We were monitoring the, the bulk of the data because that was one of the things you don't want to do. You don't want to show, we're not looking at every single person's search history. It's not that. It was really just, okay, what types of information are you looking for? How long are you using? And what we found out was we learned several things from that process. Number one, really people don't want free internet access. They want, and the reason why they don't want it free is because they don't want ads they don't want ads. They feel like many families feel like that's either 
an intrusion into privacy. And this is, mind you, low-income families, and they still feel like that. And the number two, they don't feel like it's not valued as much for whatever reason, psychologically. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's anything, right? Free is just, yeah. You're not going to use it to its full fidelity because it's not, you're not, you don't feel like you're, it's worth something to you. So that was the first thing we learned. The second thing we learned is that way more low-income families have iPhones that we realized. I remember going into these houses, setting up the computer, and definitely being like, you guys got some money. You got, you got better stuff than I do, fam. <laughs> Most people did not have computers, yeah, yeah. Um, which is why the computers became critical. And the other thing is that it was used at all times of the day. Yeah. There was no peak time. There were several peak times, yeah. uh, which was crazy. Because again, you know that you, when you're an internet provider, one of the things you recognize is that typically internet usage peaks in the evenings. Yep. What we realized is that there were several peaks. There were peaks in the early afternoon, early, uh, late morning, early afternoon, and the evening. So you had to plan for that. You had to plan for things like that. So fortunately, finally, what that taught us is, okay, so there is a need because out of the 25 households that we provided service to, 20 of them did not have internet access. Yep. So our method of internet was the only way method they could access. The second thing we learned is that even though most families do want to have access to the YouTubes and the Facebooks of the world, they're also looking for critical information, healthcare, education, workforce development, jobs, things like that. So we learned, okay, we have to figure out a way to not just provide internet, but also provide a mechanism to connect them to those resources in the, in the most efficient way possible. And that all told us, okay, we have to pivot. And then we did a whole bunch of different tests of different pricing. We said, all right, we'll charge on a per hour basis. We'll charge on a per four hour basis. We did a bunch of different things. And we found out, okay, they don't want, they don't, they want something that's simple to use, low cost. And the price for them was somewhere between 15 and $25. That's what they were looking at. So we chose 20. They want it to be fast enough to be able to allow at least three devices to connect at one point. So that's what we figured out. We had to figure out, okay, how many devices could you connect with 15 versus 20 versus 25 megabits per second, which is where we came up with 25 megabits per second. The other thing you had to figure out was, okay, how do you create a, some kind of a platform to connect into resources? And then what that led us to is understanding that the city and nonprofits were also having similar issues yeah. with connecting their services to those families. So we had to find a way to bridge that gap. That, all of that took us to understand, okay, yes, we have to provide internet access, but it has to be three ways. It has to be first way to people's households, which is a paid product. Then you have to provide some mechanism to, for families to connect, even if they don't have your internet service. So let's say someone's with Optimum, but they don't have the ability to connect to the resources. Because again, unfortunately, the Googles of the world are great when it comes to localizing certain information. But when it comes to things like, I need help with healthcare, it's not localized enough to connect people to the resource itself. Sure. So we had to create some kind of a, a process to ensure that happens, which is what we determined to be free internet, a free internet gateway resource. And then the, the last thing we realized is that, okay, it's not just about providing service inside the home, but it's also about providing services in the community, meaning in the street. Yep. And that's a multitude. That was before they were doing all that stuff with the, the street internet. Yeah, that was before they, just, they did the Google, what do you call it? The New York City NYC link or something like that, link NYC. That was before that. Yep. So it was a great process. And remember at that time we thought, okay, look, we have the data, we have usage, we have the detail, we every partnerships, we, community partnerships. Yeah, partnerships. We thought right, so this should be pretty easy now to raise money. Go out and raise money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So through this process is when I realized, okay, and Marlon was 
Marlin was one of the first companies and then more companies like Marlin, people, founders of color started to reach out to me. And I, I remember understanding more and more about the startup world and realizing, damn, this is impossible if you're brown. So at, this, at that time, I met Philip and me and Philip, yeah. been, he had been doing something with startups. I had been doing startups and we started Metabronx. And Marlin was one of the first companies that went through our Metabronx process that we tried to work with to bring up to investment level. And that basically started Metabronx. Me meeting you and going through all that shit was like one of the reasons Metabronx exists. And then we get to the point where uh, Netra's doing great. You get a actual grant from New York City. Talk about the grant and all that. Yeah, I remember from the time that I started the beta test, which I think was 2000, either 15 or 16, it took us three years to get the the venture community interested at all. We remember that the first thing that happened was I went to, I got accepted into New York City, no, I'm sorry, the Civic X Accelerator, which is a nationwide accelerator for social ventures. That was the first thing that happened. Then because of that, I was introduced to several investors, social venture investors in in California and then in Atlanta. That led me to, okay, so there's an opportunity to get funding. I just got to figure out the right way to do it. Remember we were talking about maybe we could do it through some kind of a social venture bond. We were looking at different avenues of funding. That led me to get with, we were doing work with, what's the state? Rhode Island. We were doing a collaboration with Rhode Island because they were looking at building internet access for underserved communities in Rhode Island. So we were working with them for six months on trying to figure out some kind of a way to do it. That led to the Bronx eventually getting funding um, by the state for winning the downtown revitalization initiative. So that process, because of all the different work we were doing at the time, we were working on a bunch of different initiatives. We were, I think we were working with Empire State Development in some capacity. We were working with the New York City Housing Authority in some capacity. We were looking at any different way we can get funding to build this, to do this work. The reason for that was because the community, the, the venture capital community was not looking like a viable. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing you have to realize. One of the things is, especially as a person of color, who's a founder, you can't rely on just one way to do this. So you have to figure out any different way that might be viable. And I was blessed with my nonprofit experience to say, okay, I know that there's grant money out here. You just have to find a way to categorize it, to make sure it fits with what you ultimately want to do. The yeah. problem with grant money many times is that it's too restrictive. We were fortunate that there's a bunch of different initiatives that were happening around broadband and economic development and educational attainment and so on and so forth that we were just exposed to it. Oh, I forgot about, we were working with district seven on doing um, something with the schools. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing a bunch of different projects, just getting engaged, getting involved, committing our resources. So when DRI came out, the borough president already known who we were, the state had already gotten an idea of who we were in New York city housing authority, all the different resources. So when we submitted our application, we worked with, again, with Nos Kadamos to build this application. We did the work. We wrote the entire project, but it was to provide internet access, excuse me, provide internet access to 7,000 households in the South Bronx. That was the goal. Yeah. Um, and when we won it, which was in, I think, 2019, no, mid-2018 is when we won it. It was in the middle of us. We were applying for a Microsoft grant. We were applying for um, a bunch of other different grants. And, and we were looking at work in Oakland. We were doing a whole bunch of different projects. And that's the first one that came through. So we're like, all right, so we're good. So we have, it was $437,000, which as an investment, that would be like 15% of your company. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. All right. So, the like, guy, right, so we got $437,000 to do a larger version project to showcase what we're talking about. Just as that happens, you're starting to see a bunch of different dollars come through talking about broadband. And they were looking at rural broadband for the most part, like it's, yeah. um, outside of the urban areas. So, we were working. And then, as we we're about to finalize the contract with the, we finalized the contract with the state about a year ago, even longer. And we were just finalizing the contract with the nonprofit. And that's what do you call Corona hits? I know. I let me, know. I know. And, <laughs> and let me tell you the beauty of that, though, which it, it sucks to say, but it's the truth. Only now do people realize the significance of what we were talking about 10 years ago. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. Right yeah. now, more than ever, I'm sure there's a lot of people like, fuck, I should listen to this guy. There's a lot of these schools right now where their kids don't have access to the internet. And right now, because I remember one of the most, you give the one of the best elevator pitches. I don't know if you're going to do it right now, because I know sometimes it makes Oh, you every time it gets me emotional, every time. I'm like, yo, go to that story. That sells every time. Oh, but my God. Yeah. That story, and I'll tell it. I won't tear up, because it didn't happen to me. But <laughs> story where he was talking about his daughters had homework for school and on the homework, it literally says, go to this website. But he realized that a lot of kids in his daughter's school couldn't go to the website for their homework. And I remember hearing that, damn, we got yeah, but, better, man. Yeah, but it, it wasn't even that. It was, it was that I was walking by a library. Mm. There was a little girl who was like five, she had to be in like five or six years old. And she was crying to her mother because she couldn't finish her homework. And her mother was just like, yeah, it's all right. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We're going to go home and do it. And she said, no, mom, but we can't. And she was Latin. So she was like, no, mom, but we can't because we're not internet at home and the library's about to close. So the mother was holding her daughter and she's freaking out because in her mind, you could see, oh my God, there's, there's no answer for that question. Like when that issue comes up in that particular household, the mother is doing the bush, whatever she can. And father's probably doing whatever she can to, to provide a lifestyle for her daughter, for the daughter. Only to figure out that in the end, her daughter's going to be two, three steps behind just because she doesn't have internet access. It has nothing to do with her ability. It has nothing to do with um, the effort they're putting in. No, just because they don't have internet access. So then you take that one moment, which at the time was killing me because, like you said, I have three daughters. And then you say, all right, so now that exact situation is happening to hundreds of thousands of families today, which we knew. Yeah. 20 years ago, 30, you know what I mean? It's yeah, crazy. we've known, but what I'm saying is for the longest time, they, many people, I remember this one investor telling me once, listen, Martin, I love your idea. It's great. I know it's necessary. The only problem is we're looking, we're not looking at 25, 50 megabits per second. We're looking at multi gigabit per second. I said, yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's not coming to the families I'm talking to. Exactly. So what you need to do, is you need to find a way to bridge the gap and provide something that gets them on first and then move them up. But you can't just, it's not going to come from, oh, well, now we're providing gigabit per second internet. It's going to just magically come back down to the families who need it the most. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Meanwhile, these families are missing out on billions of dollars of opportunities, which could do two things. Number one, it could bring more money into the city tax revenue. Number two, it could bring more economic, what do you call it, vitality to community. So we don't figure that out. And even now, look, like a lot of the stuff we're talking about now, it's not just families who don't have internet access today. Some of the teachers don't have internet access. Yeah. It's, it is. The speed that's needed. I got, I have 5G Verizon and I have trouble with internet. Like sometimes my internet is too slow. 
imagine if you have anything less than that, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a problem. And I think the other problem that exists is that we're seeing this now that, yeah, there are these, there are companies out here that can provide an ability or meaning a, a, a way to connect to the research. So for instance, like Altice is providing like this low cost service and they're providing for free right now for families. But here's the problem with most of those services. They're not designed for those families. And what I mean by that is it's a throwaway service. So imagine this is the way I can, best the way I can describe it. So imagine, you know, we have, you're in a restaurant and you're making food for a family, but you have food left over because not everyone in the restaurant eats. They take the food that's left over. This is what it's like. Take the food that's left over and they give it outside and give it to whoever is eating, but it could be old food. It's not fresh. So that's what this is. It's like the internet is not used. That's like, all right, we have a switch left over to the side that's not, it's not nearly as efficient. It's not working the way it's supposed to. But it still provides a mechanism to connect so we can say we're doing the right thing. That's what happens a lot of these times. It's a throwaway service. And, and so I want to come back to the grant because yeah. I remember you calling me and you were like, what are you doing? Whatever day. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. I'm crazy all the time. He's like, nah, nah, you got to come with me. We, we won. And I was like, what do you mean? You were like, we got 400. We could light up the Bronx, at least a little pocket. I was yeah. like, Oh man, you have been working on this thing for years, man. Years. Almost a decade. And I was, man, that was such a good moment. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I was like, damn, I'm really happy for you, man. I'm there. So we go there. Governor's there. Oh, we're going to do this for the community, man. He gets the check, fake check. So how does this work? And I find out the way it actually works is you have to get the money yourself. And I remember thinking, wow, this is so fucked up. It's set up. So you gotta, so think about this. You get a grant, you get a grant for half a million dollars close to you. You have to figure out how to get that 500,000 so you can get the money back whenever they decide to give it back to you. Think right. about how hard that is for a business, especially a startup, right? Yeah. So we were like, what the hell do we do now? You know what I'm saying? And we and and I had a conversation with a politician, a guy who's running for for Congress. He's gonna be on the show. He had mm -hmm. the same thing. He was trying to create technology centers inside of projects, and he got like a two million dollar grant, something crazy. Mm -hmm. he didn't get the money for years, years and years. That's why he's running right now because he's this system is rigged, man. They're not trying to help us, so we need more of us in there. And he's going to come on and tell his story. But I remember thinking, this is rigged. Like, how does a person just find $500,000? You know what I mean? That's not, we're not like in fucking West I mean, it's, it's even worse though, because, and again, I'm fortunate because of my experience, right? So when we were doing negotiations with the state, I was able to negotiate for a, a different process. Because the way it normally works is, 437, any kind of a capital grant, you have to put all the money up front. And you get paid on the back end. That's the way it normally works. The reason why it normally works like that is because normally those projects are done with like real estate. So it's normally where you're building a building and they're giving you additional funding to bridge the gap. So what you're doing is you're saying, okay, look, I have a $20 million project. You give me $2 million. That shows the lenders who you're working with that I have additional money. They'll fill that gap because they know that money's coming from the state. But in a project like this, that wasn't what was happening, right? The nonprofit didn't have any money. We didn't have any money. 
So we were able to negotiate on a, a different schedule with them. Say, look, okay, we can't give 450,000 or whatever. Actually, it was a, the project cost was total 500 something. So we can't give that all up front. What we can do is we can do it in thirds. Give us that. So at least it'll be easier right. for us to go out and get a loan or a, or a grant to fill those gaps. And that's where, that's how we were able to negotiate. But imagine many other organizations don't have that understanding. The nonprofit I work with didn't have that understanding. So we had to figure that stuff. I was, again, my experience helped me to have those conversations. Otherwise, we'd have been stuck in this money triangle for a while, right? Yeah. It would have yeah. taken us a while. I'm learning now that's the norm. Like, and, and think about it. these are projects that are supposed to help communities, most of the time communities of color, and mm -hmm. they're, they're like three years on average before they can happen because of that one thing. I understand money, if you take 500000 for every state or whatever it is, that can end up being a lot of money. But look at right now, they're printing money to throw into the fucking stock market. Why can't they do it for this, you know? They don't, there's no value for them. It's unfortunate, but you know, what we've learned from this process and I don't, I don't want to get super political. You realize now that there are two different economies. There's the economy for, and I'll just say middle income families. I'm not going to say middle income and above. I'm not going to talk about color or race, just middle income families. And then low income families have a completely different lifestyle. They, we don't have space. We don't have adequate resources. We don't have adequate financial supports. All of that is, it's all for them, it's looked at as they don't need it. They're not working on it. That's always been that kind of the concept. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a basic human. The reason why we're not doing as well with COVID where other countries are is primarily because of the way that other countries are managing their healthcare. We've learned that. If we haven't learned anything from this process, we've learned that. Uh, yeah. And we're, and we're not out of it. Like it's going to get worse. But the point is that you just, you say to yourself, okay, so it's going to take social entrepreneurs really who decide that it's not so much about just profit, but it's about profitable social enterprises. So you want to make sure that it's doing something for the community to, to bridge the gap between where we are today and where we ultimately need to be, which in the end, hopefully provides a mechanism for um, social and sustainable and economic growth in each community, which then shows the government, oh, excuse my language, th there's a way this works, this could work. And then that inspires some development. But until that happens, it's just, it's going to be perceived in the same way it's always been. And I think it comes down to return on investment, just like a, a investor, right? At the end of the day, they're looking at buildings and seeing the value of the equity of that building, bro. So they know the return on the investment. And then that helps the community around that building grow in value. But they don't believe by giving people in these communities access to the new world of jobs and opportunity that the return on investment and, it, and the return on investment of that should be exponentially more than a building, right? So part of it is like, man, it's, it sucks to be involved as much as I, I was with you to understand that because it puts you in a world where you're like, man, how are we gonna get out of this, this vicious cycle? Because the whole mm. system is set up against us coming up. Yeah, yes, it's pretty sad. And I, I do believe that it's gonna come down to, you know, people just deciding. But if you think about historically speaking, when Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey, when those families, they, they, were taking, they were taking hits, they were sacrificing. And it's interesting that we're having this conversation today about many families, and unfortunately, mostly it's, it's white families who are protesting the, the, but it's a sacrifice. You're basically saying, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to sacrifice some liberties to ensure that the entire masses are safe. 
it's no different from a conversation we were having people of color when going in recently as Colin Kaepernick was like, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice my salary to ensure that I'm drawing attention to. Right. It's a similar sacrifice. One sacrifice is looked at as, oh, that's worthy. That makes sense. Another sacrifice is looked at, oh, they're just complaining. Meanwhile, it's both sacrifice. And, and the funny thing is, one sacrifice is that there's no need to sacrifice, meaning the, the families who are protesting against civil the, the lockdown, they're saying, well, we shouldn't have to sacrifice. But at the same time, they're willing to say, Colin Kaepernick, you should sacrifice. So it's like this, it's always this perception that occurs. And I think, unfortunately, it's, we're going to have to keep finding a way to sacrifice something. And in my case, what I see that is, I'm going to have to sacrifice building the next Microsoft because that's not what's important for the people that in my communities to get to where they need to go. So that's a, a conversation we've always had, which is it's, it's luckily, it's not luckily, it's, I guess it's convenient for a Elon Musk to be able to think about space. All right. How can I take us to space when right. we got to think about how do we help how do we get off the ground? How do we help my cousin and my future grandkids, whatever it is, right? Because this is so fucked. We got to be, we got to spend our mental energy on that. We right. can't be thinking about space, right? And it sucks because it's some of us that could be doing a great job for that. Maybe a genius in the hood that can take us to space, but absolutely doesn't get that choice, that chance. So it really sucks. And internet is a huge part of it. So that's where your project has always, always been near to my heart. But you're also one of the type of people that you were very selfless, right? So one of the things you did, which was while you were out there dealing with the venture capital community, you sent us a link to Village Capital. I remember you were dealing with something. You were like, hey, did, have you ever seen this? So I had at that time, which is again, universe shit. Yep. I just read the book by the founder of that company. And I was like, yo, I'm literally finishing the book of this guy is called the innovation blind spot, a right. book. And I wanted to figure out how to get in touch with this guy. You were like, oh, they're doing a grant. They're doing something for accelerator programs. You guys should apply at Metabronx. So we applied because of you. And we went, we were the only company that they had never heard of yeah. that, and we won. And they told us when we saw your application, we were like, that's the type of company we built this to help. And it was like, wow, man. And, and that's part of the working together and continuously thinking about the people that were, are behind the scenes because yeah. nobody does that. And not enough of us do that. We, we yeah. out for self too much. And I know yeah. because we have that um, scarcity mindset because we have to a lot of times because we got to figure out how to make our ends meet. We can't be thinking about the other guy. But when you do that, it's easier for everybody to come up because now because of Village Capital, we're in a better position to help Marlin and we, we, we're putting Marlin in better rooms and we have our network is growing because yep. of that effort. So that's one yeah. thing that happens enough. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's, that's one of my biggest issues with people of color in positions of power. I, I don't know if you remember this, but when before I got accepted into the Civic X Accelerator, I took a flight out to San Francisco to go to the launch event. And launch is a company that's created by, I think a graduate from Fordham, I can't remember his name, but I know, you know, he's done great work. 
So I was going to go out there. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reach out to every Black founder, CEO, tech head, whatever I could, anyone in VC, social venture, whatever, and just try to connect with them to say, all right, look, let's get together and just talk. Because I'm looking, I'm trying to figure out what's the best way for me to move forward and to, to take the right steps. And I want to make sure I can to engage. You know, not one of them reached back out to me, fam. Not one of them followed up. Not one of them responded. Ever. And I'll tell you a quick story, which is crazy. About a year ago, I was connected with Etsy, one of Etsy's leaderships. This is when I, this is right after I got the award from America on Tech. When I was part of the, part of the process of getting that award, I've been introduced to a leader in, in Etsy. And she invited us to this event where one of the people that I reached out to, I'm not going to say his name to not throw him out of the bus, but one of the people I reached out to was actually going to be speaking at this event. I'm a jerk, right? So I get up at one point that they're able to ask questions. So I get up and I'm like, I just want you to, I want to bring it to your attention that two years ago or three years ago, whatever it was, I reached out to you to ask you for help because he was talking about, yeah, we got to help one another, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, I reached out to you to ask for help to just connect, just to talk. And you never responded. You never even responded to a message, email, text, nothing. And mind you, I'd followed you, connect with you on, on LinkedIn, so on and so forth, but you never, ever responded. And he looked at me with this dumb look on his face like, damn. <laughs> See, so you're right. It, 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 we have to find a way to support one another. Even if that means you might miss out on a potential, like most times it's, it's not because we're going to lose out on a $400,000 grant. It's because we're going to lose on a $10,000. All right. Yep. Yep. It, it's, it's an incremental amount. But because we're so focused on self, we're not focused on community. We lose out on the bigger picture. And one of the things that I've always said, and you and I have always had this conversation, I've always said, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm always going to find a way to bring something back because there's not enough of us that do that. Uh, Grant, I remember telling you, I was like, listen, we got to find a way to to apply some of that funding to doing uh, software development so we can bring people in, things like that, because that's how you build the community. Yeah, a thousand percent. And that's where I always work with you. I'm always going to help you because you are you're that type of entrepreneur and person. And there's not enough of us like that, but they need to see that we exist and we can yeah. win. You know what I mean? I think Absolutely. it's crabs in the barrel mentality that makes us feel. And, and it's definitely a setup from the get. We, we, we yeah, are feel and think that way, but we have to evolve. We got to get out of that immediately because in situations like this, especially, we're learning. We're all the fucking same, right? Like yeah. everybody, I don't care how rich you are, you're worried right now. This is where, you know, the idea of how can we have the mindset when you're creating whatever you're creating, how can this help other people too? Or how can I, with this opportunity, help other people? And that yeah. will help you. So that's why I always, I commend you for always being like that. Okay. Last 10 minutes. What, I, of course I put up your nature. What right now could help you push your business along or your personal along? Anything that, that can uh, maybe somebody who's watching or me can help with? I think it's always about networks, man. One of the things that I've learned from this process is that there are a lot of good people out here and we just don't know. We don't know each other. When I, when I did the Civic Act Accelerator, I met a lot of lawyers who were great, fantastic people who just provided me with some guidance here or there. That's been helpful. When I did the, the Accelerator itself. There are um, founders that I still connect with today who have done great things. Their, their companies are already in the tens of millions of dollars and we're still behind, but they still connect and provide guidance and feedback. So I think it's just finding more people who understand what this is really about and connecting. So for instance, I'll give an example. 
recently Philip put me in touch with the Bronx education tech thing that you know they're doing in the Bronx. And the last two weeks I've been involved, I've been engaged. And through that, I, I met other people who were doing work that prior to this, we probably we never would have crossed each other's path. Um, and there, there's just, we can do more to build each other up. We just got to take the opportunity to reach out and actually say, okay, look, I'm willing. So, you know? so you, what you said before, I wanted to make sure I said before I ended this, because now we're in this village capital network, we are able to go to more things. So I've been mm -hmm. able to go to a lot of venture capital things. And of course, I always talk to any minority in that area. What happened one time was, and I think I put it on my podcast. I was in a room with a guy who just raised like $80 million or something like that with his firm. Mm -hmm. But he was, we were in a room, like a breakout room where we were all sitting around and we were talking about what can people do? And one, and he was, there were startups and, and investors. And right. so a black guy sitting right next to me is, I reached out to you on LinkedIn and he looked down. He was like, please God, let me have responded to this guy. <laughs> he said it. And the guy was like, you did. I thank you for that. That's why I'm asking because you, I'm talking because you did respond to me. He said, all right, I'm going to stop this though. I want you guys to understand something. A lot of people reach out to us. So it's hard for us to get back to everyone. But one thing that I can tell you that will help you as a person that reaches out to people is make sure you study what they invest in. Because just blindly reaching out to me when you don't know the levels that I deal with, because if you are reaching out to me and you're an early startup, my firm can't really help you. So a lot of times I forward those things to people that help me manage. And mm -hmm. if you fall outside of that criteria, we don't get back to you. And then I unfortunately don't get back to you. So I'm telling you guys, and it's up to you to give this information out to more people, look up because it's not just the fact that I'm black and I want to yeah. help them. Person. It's more about, can I help this black person right now? Because my firm doesn't deal in the level you are in. So you have to understand that. So I just wanted to make sure anybody watching this that has gone through what Marlon has gone through. And then there's definitely the, you have to reach, you have to become a little bit annoying. Mm -hmm. like that, that balance of annoying, but persistent. Yep. And, and that's a sales thing that most people don't come from sales. So they don't know. The average time, just so people who haven't watched this as an entrepreneur, the average times it takes to hear from someone before you buy is 20 times. Think about that. So if you reach out to somebody twice and you're like, oh, they never got back to me, you still got 18 more to go before it's average. So you got to time it out so it's not annoying. You don't reach out 20 times in a day. You reach out every week. And if you look up and you reach out 20 times, then you know, you were average. You may still even have to go past that, get a response. So that's part of it. I, I know we're not trained for that. So that's why I wanted to make sure. I know <laughs> but most people don't know that. So when you're reaching out, even I know people are reaching out to me right now and I'm, I'm crazy. So I'm not responding to everything. So I get it. And I know even you hit me with that. You're like, yo, I reached out to you, brother. And you didn't respond. <laughs> Yeah, but you were persistent, exactly. And I was like, yo, it's not that I, I don't like your idea. It's just, I'm crazy too. You know what I'm saying? And that's how the world works. You got to look at it from that perspective, anybody watching. So last few um, questions. What type of people can help you right now? I know networks, but what type of people in those networks? 
Finance people, housing people. Right. Housing in what way? Affordable housing, because those are the people that we think are will be more interested in collaborating. I'm glad you said that because I literally had a call a few minutes before we got on with somebody that has a super connection to affordable housing that I didn't even make that connection. So that's another thing, right? Every day things come, but you're not thinking about everybody you meet every all day, every day for your whole life. That's why even this show, that's why I want to have this show because I, it forces us to catch up and now it's content. Other people can learn and other people can possibly see this and be like, yeah. affordable housing, let me hit up Marlon and let's go from there. So that's another good point. How should people look for you? I put nature.co on the website, but yeah, LinkedIn, uh, emails is, those are the two best ways. Yeah. I'm not super active on Facebook and, and, um, Instagram and all those things. Cause I'm trying to build stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I think those are the two best ways you can always, my number is always out there too. If you want to just chat or text or call or whatever. Another thing I didn't fucking I do, I, I, when I was looking for a picture to use in your thumbnail, I Googled you and I forgot we should have mentioned a long time ago. Oh you yeah, BBC. Pictured all over the place and you <laughs> rats on all that, BBC, yeah. all these places. Talk about any of that stuff. Yeah, I, a year ago, early 2019, I don't remember what happened. I, I received a call from BBC just saying, look, they're doing a story on broadband connectivity and just the gaps that exist in the world. And at the time, the guy that I was dealing with, I was at the same time I was dealing with him, my daughter was in the hospital. So I was going back and forth. I was like, listen, I'm just, just crazy for me right now. I'm going now. So at one point, him and I just sat down and he's asking me questions and I'm going through why I did what we talked about today. And I was talking about my history, like what brought me to this point? And he was so moved. Um, by it. He said, look, I just want to, do you mind if I focus you on this story? I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> when it came out, dude, it was crazy because think about from the Bronx. So we're in the Bronx and this, the, the, the day it came out, my face was on the BBC website. <laughs> and it was the freakiest thing ever. I was like, yo, dude, have you seen this? So of course, what happens after that? The whole world reaches out to me. I, I hear from freaking New York Times and News 12, blah, blah, blah. And then the borough presence, oh, listen, we should talk. You know, everyone's reaching out to me. And I'm like, yeah, dude, when I reached out to you before, I heard nothing. Yes. Um, yes. To be fair, the borough president office has always been a supporter. So I'm not going to crap on them. Just, it's just funny because I didn't hear from them for a while. But yeah, it, it's just, it's one of those things where once people understand how much I've had to do, both personally, I lost my, I didn't lose my family, but I got through, went through a divorce. And like every, all the different things that have happened to still keep on this path to make sure that I solve this problem. It's moving because there's not enough of us who do this work. So Marlon has been working on this for years and years. He hasn't given up. He's had many ups and downs, figuring out other ways to make money, to make sure that he can still do this. That's another very important entrepreneur thing that you can't just give up because it's not making money right now. You got to figure out mm -hmm. how to make money to, to get there because nothing makes money in the very early stage. So you've got right. to. So again, man, of course, always great catching up. I want to, of course, I'm going to connect you with the person I'm talking about, but we're talking about it behind. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, man. Keep rocking. Stay safe. Always. Um, Always. And, and let's keep it going, man. Thanks. Thank you, brother. Same to you, man. Thank you for inviting me. And love you as always. And we'll get up sooner. No question. All right, Marlon. Keep rocking. All right, brother. All right, you too, man.
that concludes today's episode. If you've listened all the way through, I truly appreciate you. Thank you so much. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. And follow me in all social platforms linked in the description so we can be engaged. And hopefully I can help you create more revenue streams and help you with your ideas. Thank you so much. Have a good day.